Now the Lord spoke to Moses in Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law in which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. Does anyone know what the offal is? That's kind of the waste removal track. should be easy to remember because that's kind of awful. There you go. Yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't really supposed to be a joke. It was just supposed to be a pneumatico. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. And then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation, for the children of Israel, for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, well, he will not be clean. That should stand to reason. Verse 13. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent, in case you need to know the difference. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever is on an, in an open field touches one who was slain by a sword, who has died, or a bone of a man, or a grave, shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer, burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead, or the grave. A grave. A person shall, a clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and in the evening he shall be clean. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly, because he's defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He's unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Now, maybe you've read this and you're gone, what, what, what? Perfect. Let's watch God unpack it before us, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the sheer magnificent blessing of this text.
and all you're going to do in it. So, Lord, let your scripture burst open and come alive for us. Lord, minister to us in every moment of this. Let us hear your voice. Let us be spoken to, every one of us, in our heart of hearts, in our minds, Lord. But, Lord, speak to us where we need to be spoken to and give us ears to hear. Lord, no matter where we are, in a place where we feel we're standing in our greatest triumph or in the place of our greatest weakness, Lord, minister now, we pray. Have your way. Lord, profoundly perform your therapy on each of us. Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you, let this be the morning of or afternoon of your salvation. Lord, for those who are struggling, bring strength. For those that are confused, bring confidence and clarity. For those, Lord, right now who are just stumbling along, Lord, bring hope and peace today. And may we all find ourselves in your arms where we belong. So, Lord, get me out of your way. Immerse me in your spirit. Fill me to overflowing and do through me what I cannot humanly do now. Have your way, we pray. Lord, we commit ourselves in every second of this now to you. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Here's where we're at in Scripture. Now, maybe you're kind of looking at this and thinking, what in the world do I live in a culture like this? Why do I need to do this? First of all, it's just kind of important to note that when God says stuff, lots of times we don't understand him. And then later on, in retrospect, we learn how he kept us safe from things. I mean, when we talk about how in things like this, that he does some of this for our health, he does some of this so that we have the opportunity to obey, even when we don't understand we have the opportunity to leave the world we came from and to yearn from the, to the, for the world that he has in front of us. That's the word holy, to be healthy. And that's one of the things we learn here. Matter of fact, in this country, for instance, when the black plague hit, the bubonic plague, the only people who were not getting it were Jews. And as a result of that, the Jews were being blamed for witchcraft because they were saying that they were casting it. But do you know why they weren't getting it? Because of this text. Because this text says, when you touch something dead, you got to take a bath. Now, for us, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Western culture, we bathe a lot. Eastern culture, not so much, even to this day. When I used to be in a band and we would tour Russia, the moment we showed up at the hotel, oh my goodness, the hot water mysteriously broke. Every time. And it mysteriously was fixed as we were checking out. Because we used more hot water in the small group that we were than the rest of the, their clientele for the rest of the year. And we only bathed once a day. No, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. But understand, when God does things like this, there are times where he'll say, you know, like for instance, he'll say things like, don't put a stumbling thing in front of a blind person. Can you imagine that God has to tell you that? Don't eat bats. Any of you actually ever have a good bat burger? No, I'm not talking about something that looks like Batman. And that's the point, is that God knows what he's talking about. But please understand, in context of this, we're actually in a pretty radical place. Chapter 14, we had the refusal. If you remember, God said, go into the land, I promise you. No, please hear me. God wanted us out of our land of bondage, but he didn't want us just wandering around in the wilderness. That just spartaned off our life and made things spartan enough and sparse enough so that we could just make it us and him. And understand, God does that for purpose. There, I mean, you start off in the place, Jesus says, whoever sins is a slave to it. We are born slaves. Like it or not, every one of us are born slaves. And God wants to do more than remove us. He wants to deliver us. And there's a big difference. 
Removal, you're just happy to not be where you used to be. Deliverance, you have a destination. Please hear me. We were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the son he loves. We were removed from the bondage of sin to the son he loves. We were from a place where we were slaves and under the bondage and the tyranny of sin and under the wicked one. And now we are in the arms of the son that he loves. Do you get where the destination is? It's Jesus. And God understand, please hear me in this. God intends to remove you from a place of bondage, and then he pulls you in a place where really things do seem pretty sparse. Now look at maybe you were like me. I didn't give my life to Christ till I was 19. And so I was a pretty educated sinner. I had a master's degree, a doctorate in sinning. Holding seminars daily. I'm not proud of it. It just was my lifestyle. And when I said yes to Jesus, all of my friends scattered like roaches when the light turned on. And, they, and what I tended to realize is the moment I gave my life to Christ, they kind of looked a little bit like roaches scattering when the life went on. I realized I was one myself. But when the Lord started changing me, it was like everything left. These people that I trusted were gone. The parties that I attended daily were gone. The invitations were gone. And even people that I thought were kind of Christians... Well, to be honest, when I fell in love with Jesus, even the people that are like, I'm going to heaven, that's good enough, they were gone too. They're like, you're like overboard. I'm like, yeah, I want to walk on water, and you'll never walk on water unless you go overboard. Did you figure that out yet? And God intended to be more than that. When you get to that place where he starts removing stuff, stop fighting him. It's like loving the cancer he's removing. But sooner or later you realize that's not permanent. That's just the place, that's the pit stop. That's the place where you go and get petrol. Sooner or later he's got a place for you and it's a place of fruitfulness. And that place of fruitfulness, there will be battles to be fought. There will be challenges for you to get there. Here's the good news. God promised to fight every one of those battles and he'll bring the enemy right in your face so we can take him down right in front of you so you can say with confidence you saw the enemy taken down. He could have said, oh, you'll never have to face a battle. I'll just remove that from you. But then you'll always wonder. When God took the nation of of Egypt and all of Pharaoh's army and brought them into the Red Sea after Israel, he closed that water up in front of them so that they would never have to spend the rest of their life looking over their shoulder. Some of you know what that means. If you lived your life fighting and making enemies from it, you know what it's like to carry even a small mirror in your pocket just in case. To see who was behind you. Not paranoid. You just know there people had it in for you. And though you can move to another place, there's always that concept that that person's still around somewhere. But when God takes them down in front of you, you never have to look over your shoulder again. And that's what God's doing here. And then once he removes it to them, he's like, now I've got you this promised land, and I'm going to take down those enemies in front of you. I'll bring them in front of you, but I'll take them down in front of you. You're like, well, God, why is the battle in front of me? So God says, so I can show you the victory. That's the point here. But the people said, nope. The battle's too big. The battle's too great. We're like grasshoppers in comparison to our opposition. But you've got to know this. There's no such thing as victory without a battle. You're like, I want you to know I'm undefeated. From what? Have you ever fought? No. You're not undefeated. You're untested. That's a different story altogether. I've never lost a battle. That's because you've never been in one. And the people said no. The sad part was, is where there were giant opposition, there was also giant fruit to be had. And God has that for you. He really wants to use you to change the world. 
And he wants you to, to step it up in your faith and trust him that he's got something here and he will take care of it. So for chapter 14, they refuse it. Chapter 15, God says, well, let's start over then. There's a restart. So from the refusal to the restart, and he goes, let's get back to the bread and wine. Something we will get to today, by the way, because it's Communion Sunday. Chapter 16, then came the resistance. It was Korah who stood up and said, who died and made you boss? But not only was it the resistance, it was the retribution. And God opened up the earth and swallowed these guys whole. And you get the idea, when we start bucking at what God has for us and his standard, we get swallowed up by the world too. And then it was the fire and the plague. It was the retribution. And then in chapter 17, God says, let's solve it once and for all. Take your sticks, lay them down. The one that's resurrected, that's the one that it is. And we saw the resurrection. Chapter 18, he says, now there's responsibilities. If I'm going to back you up, there's a purpose for it. You're not just so, if you wanted me to sort of do great things through you just so that people think you're cool, you are so out of touch. Look at, you know what, you really want to be validated? That's what the cross is for. Because at the cross, God said he would rather die than live without you. That's what the cross says. How could you be more awesome than that? If you're trying to get the world to stand up and applaud, chances are you're not looking at the cross the right way. So listen to this. It was the refusal, and then the restart, and then the resistance and the retribution, and then it was the resurrection and the responsibilities, and now the red heifer. What the world? Give me a big red cow and kill it? Does that seem strange? Perhaps it does. But notice what it says here, and we'll, de- we'll develop it. Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. It's an exact phrase used 15 different times in Scripture. And he says, this is the ordinance. Can you say, Chukah? Almost sounds like you're imitating. Hukah! Hukah is the word here for ordinance. And the word literally means to enact or to appoint a meaning. In other words, he goes, let's put this now into practice. Let's really get busy about this. Which the Lord commanded, saying, speak to the children of Israel, that they bring a red heifer without blemish, in which there's no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. Now understand, it sounds like this thing's been set apart. A heifer, that's a big cow. And a big cow should have a yoke upon it. And then you raise them for that purpose. Well, why a cow? Why not a lamb? Why not a sheep? Why not a llama? Why a cow? Well, let's take a look at a few pictures and kind of get some grasp of this. Hey, this is a thing that we could forget about. For instance, this. Wait a minute. There it is. See, what would Israel know about a cow? Well, they would know about this little puppy right here. Well, not really a puppy, obviously. This is a cow. I'm aware of that. This is the God, and I hate to even bring this up in the house of God, but I want it to be able to be clear for us. I want to develop this so we get it. This is the Egyptian god Apis. Apis was the god of power and of babies. And the idea was simple. It was victory over a battle, and it was children. Things that were so over our heads So out of our ability, we had to seek someone for. The problem is, I want to remind you, Israel spent 430 years in Egypt. 400 of those years was in bondage. And so this is what they knew. This is what their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers knew. Was This was the God they turned to when they felt weak. When they felt like something was bigger than them. Let me ask you, what do you turn to when you feel weak? The bottle? The clubs? Your homies, what do you turn to? 75 hours of watching the Star Wars quadrilogy. What do you turn to? 
Do you just sit alone and sulk? And things get to the point where you're like, it's so much bigger than me, I feel so weak. Do you run out? Do you run from the Lord? We all have defaults. But if you could spend a day with me, a Thursday morning with me, down in Broccoli, with guys that have been addicted to heroin, meth, crack, 30, 40 years, you'd see what happens when you don't change that. We all have them. We all have something that the enemy, and by the way, the moment you start listening at that moment, you've now chosen to give yourself audience to the one whose intent is to destroy you. You're aware of that, right? Isolate. Get away. A little porn, what's the deal? You deserve it. Go ahead and sleep with someone. What difference does it make? Six, seven, eight shots, Jaeger bombs, what difference does it make? And you wake up the next day and you hate yourself more. So what's your cow? See, Apis, that's what they saw when they felt weak. When something seemed bigger than them, they turned to the cow. But it wasn't just that. It was the whole idea of purpose. Now, please understand, I'm not endorsing this mindset. I'm only just teaching it. But in the Middle East, and often to this day, the idea of a girl being born is the idea that the girl is a baby baker. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say, look at one of the things you recognize is without a woman, one thing men are aware of, you can't have babies without women. And if having a family and carrying on your family line and your family name means something, girls got to be involved somewhere. So understand, for a gal, for instance, to not have children, that's a huge disgrace in the Middle East. A big disgrace. Especially in places where even to this day, the average size family is 11 to 12 children. And from the same woman. I mean, think about that, ladies. That means you start early and you end late, is what that means. Now, now hear me on this. The idea of finding purpose is, well, who am I and why am I here? Right? And that's what we're saying. What am I doing here? And so what do we do with that? We find a job and, and we ask, who are you? What's the first thing you say? I'm a student. I'm a carpenter. I work at the, uh, at the Gherkin. You know, I, you know, I polish windows at the Shard. I mean, that's job security. Although I get a little nervous about anything that's called pieces of sharp broken glass and they name a giant glass building out of that. I, it gets me a little nervous. What is it that you are? What's your purpose? Who are you? Because when people didn't know, they turned to the cow. So what's your cow? See, here's the problem in all of this, is that Israel knew where to go, but they knew where to go wrong. That's the problem. They had a place to go, but the place they went was the wrong place. So you know what it's like? It's been a rough day. I'll go there. It's been, a, it's been a day. I feel like I've gotten defeated. I'll go there. I really don't even know who I am or where I go in life. I don't know what my job is. I don't know who I am. I'll go there. That's your cow. And for them, they knew it as a red heifer. That's what they knew it. So understand what this whole chapter is about. If there's a title to it, it is love God, kill your cow. And God's like, you know what? I want to use you to change the world. But if I'm going to use you to change the world, you are going to be facing battles and you cannot run back to the cow when there are battles to be fought because there are going to be too many battles, which means there'll be too many times you'll run back to the cow and the cow will get you nowhere. That's the problem. And God doesn't want that. And don't tell me that Israel didn't know how to run to the cow even after this. Remember when Moses was gone up on the mountain for 40 days talking with the Lord? 
What did the people do? Exodus 32. Aaron receives gold from their hands. The earrings and the things that they had received from Egypt. And what does he fashion with it? A golden cow. Well, why is that? Because they're like, now that I'm here, what's my purpose? Think about that for a second. Maybe you said yes to Jesus, and now he's put you in the wilderness, and your friends are leaving, and things are freaking out on you, and you even your boss looks and goes, I can't, I, you're done. And you say, well, who am I now? Do you want to run to the cow? Is that where you want to go? Because there's a moment like this, God says, look, I'm your purpose. I made you to be with me. I didn't make you to to worship me. I didn't make you to serve me. I didn't make you to glorify me. I made you to be with me. All of those things will happen as a product of you being with me. I made you to be with me. And in that place where things start to scatter from you, like leaves in a pond when something is dropped in the middle, and you know what? Let it go because all of a sudden what we're going to see here and the simplest of it is seven things about what God wants to do to turn us into the world changer He intends for us to be. And there's seven steps in all of this. Follow me through on this. But listen, in Exodus 32, they went to the cow. And, and 1 Kings chapter 12, when the kingdom divides, and we have the south, which is the capital is Jerusalem, the north, the capital will ultimately be Samaria. And the king of the north now with the ten tribes looks and goes, I, I know those people will go down to Jerusalem for a feast, and then they'll leave me. Oh no, I'm going to leave it. All my power is going to leave me. All my authority is going to leave me. What do I do? I know what I'll do. I'll make gold cows. And he makes one in the south where it's convenient in Bethel, and one up in the north in Tel Dan. And he goes, now you can go and it's easy. It's a quick thing. You can go to this thing. Why to go to a place where God is really the center of it and you want to worship God? Just go to a place that kind of is God-ish. It's good enough. It's in your neighborhood. It's close. It's good enough. And then he said, here's the God that delivered you. Just the same thing that Aaron said to the people. Matter of fact, that particular sin by the leader's name was Yeroboam is the one sin mentioned more than any or by a person. Think about how many times God said the sin of Judas. Or even the sin of Adam. But at least 22 different times God says the sin of Yeroboam. In other words, God says, look at I know what it's like to be replaced, and that's the biggest issue. Understand, because God made you to be with him, something that replaces him is the biggest deal. Because listen, 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 if you get nothing but this, nothing is more important to God than your relationship with him. And because that's what drives him, anything that interferes becomes his enemy. Does that make sense? Aren't you thankful? I mean, think about it. God could just be like, well, I created you just to watch for a little bit of entertainment. And when I'm you know, bored, I'll flip the channel and look at another part of the world. But he created you to be with him. And therefore, everything about him drives him that way. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it will be Eliyahu, Elijah, standing against the prophets of Baal. Perhaps you're unfamiliar with Baal looks like. Go ahead and flip to another slide here if you would. This, by the way, is Baal. Baal, by the way, was supposed to be the god of power and thunder. As a matter of fact, he was supposed to respond with lightning and he rode, you guessed it, a golden cow. And so, understand when, when and by the way, he was supposed to live on Mount Carmel because everyone thought that gods were territorial. So when Elijah says, hey, we're going to have a showdown here, we'll put it into your court. Understand what was happening. Elijah was like, you know what? You want a challenge? I'll go to where you think Baal lives. We'll kill that cow. And then we'll see who answers by lightning. Isn't that what he does? Is he answers by lightning? In other words, he called his bluff. But he knew it was about the cow. Interesting, in Acts chapter 14, when Paul 
is out on the mission field. He's in Lystra at this point, and he had healed a man who had never walked. The people ran out, if you remember. They declared that he was Zeus and Hermes, him and Barnabas, and it says whose temple was in front of their city, and they brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice to the multitudes. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's the cow still. Why is it always the cow? Flip to the next slide, by the way, and take a look at this. This, by the way, is Molech. Perhaps you're familiar with Molech. It was the god of pleasure in Israel. It was actually an, an, uh, an Amorite god. And understand, those little pockets there, that part in the bottom was where they would light a fire, and that part at the top is where they would lay their babies, because that was the price you paid for a god of pleasure. That's the way that worked. But notice what he is. Go to the next slide, for instance. There's another picture of him in action. Next picture. This, by the way, was supposed to be the, the replica of the uh, idol in Tel Dan, Israel. There's their cow. Next one. One more. Okay, next. Now, what's this? This is actually happening today. Anyone know where that is? It's in India. And again, it's the cow. It's interesting because to this day, people are starving to death in places, but it's interesting they're still worshiping the cow. Now, look, I'm not trying to pick on another culture. I'm here to tell you this. Everybody's got a cow and it's going to need to die. And God wants you to walk out of here cowless today. He wants you to walk out of here not saying, you know what, I'm, I, I have this little thing in my pocket and on a bad day I feel like I have a right to get wasted, a little bit of porn, a little bit of clubbing, a little bit of whatever. But God wants to replace that with you uh, in, in your life because he understand God doesn't have a bad place to go. He wants to take that whole stuff and he wants to take it and make it just you and him. That's what's supposed that's and that's the problem is that pocket that you have that in is supposed to be a pocket of intimacy between you and him. And that's why God has such a problem with it. Because what could happen there is it could be you and him. So on a rough day, you could turn to prayer. But you ever have those moments? And listen, I don't care how sanctified you feel, how long you've been a Christian. Everybody has those moments where like, I don't even feel like praying. I feel like doing something stupid. And God says, from this point on, you just may hear God help you, my voice saying, kill your cow. So flip with me, listen to what it says. Here's our first step, ready? Verse 3. Give it to Eliezer the priest, that he may take it outside the camp and be slaughtered before him. The first one, ready? Get it out and give it up. Get it out. Stop hiding your cow. Stop tucking it away. Your dirty little secret. Nobody else knows. You know, it actually says confess your sins to one another. Now, that's not for them to forgive. It's to hold accountable. And we'll see that even here in a moment. But there's got to be that point sooner or later where you've got to have someone that loves you enough where you're like, you know what, I'm really struggling, and this is what I'm struggling with. Because there's a part of me that wants to want what's right, but I don't even want what's right. It's like it needs to, you need to get it out. And what's interesting is you actually handed it to Eliezer, but isn't the high priest Aaron? Well, Eliezer is his son, and God's already starting to usher in that second generation, the one that will go into the promised land. And he goes, Eliezer, I want you to know this isn't just for the wilderness. This is for the promised land, too. So listen, I want you to take this thing, and I want you to get it out, and I want you to hand it to Eliezer, and this is what's going to happen. It's going to die before him, and when you give it up, when you give it up to, this, to the high priest, which according to the book of Hebrews, our high priest is Jesus. A high priest who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Therefore, we could go to him boldly because he knows what it's like to be tempted and he knows what it's like to have victory. Please hear me. God wants you to hand it over. And when you hand it over, it's going to die. 
I want to warn you right now, but you're like, but I, that's the problem, isn't it? So that's maybe why you don't want to hand it over. Because you kind of know that if you do, it's going to die. But I kind of like the porn. But I kind of like the flirting. But I kind of like the drunkenness. I kind of like this thing. And I know what destroys me. I know what takes years off of my life. I know what makes me miserable. And I'm so unhappy when I'm there. And I'm so empty when I'm there. But I don't want it to die. And Jesus is like, hand it to me. Romans 13:12 says the night is far spent and the day is at hand therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Step 2 verse 4. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, that's a strange thing, isn't it? Hey, well, I want you, want you to know when this thing dies, it's going to bleed. And when it bleeds, some of that blood is going to be a reminder for the rest of your life. And then where does it be? It's going to be at the doors of the church. Did you notice that? He's going to take that and he's going to fling it right to the front of the, to the tabernacle of, notice he says, of meeting. And the second thing, by the way, is bring him in. Now, notice when we get it out, we give it up. Now, when we bring it in, what we're bringing in, by the way, is we bring in fellowship. And we're bringing up an interesting kind of fellowship now because I'm looking at the doors of the church and I see at the doors of the church that blood of that thing that used to be my cow gets left there. I don't bring it into the church and wait for it to die in here. I wait and I, I get right with the Lord out there. So when I come in here, I come in here to fellowship with the Lord and be used by Him to serve others. Now, that's a different world altogether. And somebody like, I just, if I could just get to the house of the Lord, I just know the Lord's going to... Well, you know what? You could get to the Lord right now. And you could get to the Lord on your way here. And for some of us, even if you live a five-minute walk away, that's still a 25-minute bus ride. Take that time and like, Lord, is there anything that needs to be dealt with right now between me and you before we even get in the door? Kill my cow before I even go in because there's no room for cows in here. Now, hey, look, if you brought it in, the good news is God will take care of it now. Hand it to him. But man, once that happens, bring in that fellowship. He's going to fling it. I'm going to look at the doors of the church, and I'm going to say, you know what? Now, from this point on, when I look, I say, my cow died so that I'm going to walk in there where I get to meet with the Lord. I want to meet with the Lord now. And understand, sooner or later, he's going to bring in fellowship, but our fellowship starts between us and him. Three, then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. It's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, it's awful, shall be burned. And let me just say this, step three is just let it burn. And by the way, when something burns, it's all gone. And notice, by the way, it's interesting, nobody eats the meat of this. Nobody gets to take the horns and make something decorative for their table. Nobody uses the, the skin for a coat. The whole thing burns. And can I just say, that's the part, man. If you let this thing die, don't leave any room. Don't let a little bit of it stick around. You know what that means? If you've got a problem with internet porn, that means either you remove computers from your life completely or you get a healthy filter on there. And you're like, but it'll slow down my computer. Yeah, you'll have to wait from two to three seconds for your thing now. Exactly how much in a hurry are you? Don't give me those kind of lame excuses and don't try them on God. He knows better. But if, if, I, if I don't go to the clubs, I'll lose my friends. Maybe you'll get better ones then. But if I don't, if I stop sleeping with my boyfriend, he'll leave me. Good! If that's what you've got to do to keep him, what are you doing? God says, look it, it was commitment that produced time that produced intimacy. And the enemy says, oh no, no, intimacy will produce time and maybe he'll commit. 
But you ever heard anyone say, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest. Look at man, if somebody's actually making you pay your dues to stay with them, get out. The Lord has a better plan for your life, and he'd like somebody that invests in you. Hey, look, at every relationship starts either in a state of need or a state of overflow. The state of overflow comes healthy relationships. The state of need, you know what that means? You suck. Think about it. It's what it means. I'm needy, and I'm hoping to suck off you to find out what it is. Most of the time, we don't even know what it is we need. Well, what we need is Jesus, by the way. And when you find Jesus and you come to the fountain, what I found is I stopped sucking off at anyone. Let it burn. Let the whole thing burn. I don't want a little bit left over. Hey, look at you know, I, there, was, there was this, oh, I used the term gentleman to be kind, whose wife had a brain tumor. It was a pretty rough situation. I mean, she was really going through it. And because that was the situation, it put a bit of a strain on the relationship, as you might imagine. And this particular guy, a, a principal, by the way, a headmaster of an elementary school, primary school, went out to, um, to, to the store one day, and didn't come back for about nine, ten months. Now, the story isn't that far away. And this story isn't like six years ago, or six hundred years ago, where you had to take a boat to someplace else. No, this was like he went down to the corner market and didn't come back. Yeah, he wound up finding another place. It was another gal to stay, right? And he stuck with her for a while. And sooner or later, he winds up showing back up at the house like nothing ever happened, as if somehow her whole life was pausing. This whole woman went through chemo without him. This whole woman suffered all this, the nausea and the weakness and all that horrible stuff. Oh, she went through all of that without him. And then he came back in like nothing was happening. And he was there for a few weeks. And then off he was again with her. And then, then you know, and they come into my office because they have marital troubles, do you guess? Yeah. The only guy that ever went for my throat in a marriage counseling session so far, but, you know, we're not done yet. I'm not encouraging you in that, by the way. And he says, I, I love my wife more than anything. <laughs> I just started laughing. I went, you love you more than anything. And that was it. He went for my throat. Now, he was promptly sat back down. I says, how much do you love your wife? Get rid of all your phones. Change your numbers. I can't change my numbers. Other people might miss. Yeah, yeah. So what? How important is this? Oh, no, 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 no. No, don't give me a no, 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 no. If your wife really is the most important thing, show her. If you guys have to get up and move to the next part of the world, do it. See, you know that. Because when someone burns you, it's one thing for them to say, sorry, does that ever mean anything to you? Sorry. You know what that means? Don't, stop being mad at me. That's what, they're de- that's what they're demanding, right? But let's be real. If you're going to be real about it, it's like, look at And here are the steps I'm willing to take to make sure that doesn't happen again. All of a sudden, you start seeing they're taking it seriously. Well, why won't we do that with God? Oh, and we, we think if we actually say it with a little bit more feeling, God will buy it. Oh, God, I mean it this time. God's like, that was a really beautiful performance. But you're not willing to do anything to let it die. Let this thing burn, baby. And you know what? If you're not willing to do that, let's stop playing this game and let's stop pretending that we're real about it. So it's like, you know what? I can't, you know, I know that every time I'm with those guys, I wind up getting stoned. Well, that should be a simple solution. I can't leave them. Oh, yes, you can. And can we be friends enough to tell people the truth? Does that sound harsh? Could you imagine if your doctor was like that? 
I'm really sorry. I know that you've got cancer. I don't want to offend you. So you don't really have to take this. And you probably shouldn't, you know, maybe stop smoking. Maybe not. Really? Do you want a doctor that wishy-washy? Is that what you want? I'm on a guy that's like, look, here's the problem. Let's go black and white on it. And here's what can be, this can be cured if we're willing to take these steps. Hey, listen, can you imagine going, who do you think you are, Mr. Healthier Than Thou? Mr. Judgmental, intolerant. Yeah, he should be intolerant. That guy should wash his hands and he should disinfect. I want him intolerant of any germ before he sticks his hands all over me. How about you? But we're afraid when we're handling matters of eternity. Beloved, please hear me in this. God wants it serious. And if we're serious about these things, and we want to be like, look, at, I, it's one thing to say, look, at, I just don't want to go to hell. Do you really think that's what God wants? Look, at God, Jesus didn't die for you so that you could go to heaven. He died for you to be with you. Heaven's the product of that. You just get to live with him forever. It's like, look, at, when, I, when, I, when I proposed to my wife, it wasn't because I wanted to give her a house. It's because I wanted to be with her. I didn't want to be like, oh, well, this is good, because from this point on, I could actually live in another person's house. That would be it. How lame would that be? When God relates his relationship to us, it's that of a bridegroom and a father to the two most assaulted relationships, in my opinion, the two most assaulted identities of men in the world. But if we had it right, it would be serious. Is there any area right now where you're not letting it burn? You're like, oh God, you could burn this part because I don't like it anyways. You could burn the part where people look at me weird because of it or my distraction or what it's doing to me. But, but don't burn the part that I actually feel like I get a benefit from. Really? Is that where we're at with this? And then he says this. Verse 6. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them then into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. By the way, it's interesting because these three things, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet, have been used 14 times before this. It's interesting, at least. In the four, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, they've been used five times. They've always been in this order, and they've all been in the same chapter. It's Leviticus 14, and it's always been about the leper. And I think that's interesting. Because if you know anything about leprosy, it's where you get numb to death. And you realize that's what happens with sin. With sin, beloved, please hear me. It tells us that our hearts grow hard because of the deceitfulness of sin. You start playing around with it and you start digging into it. And sooner or later, that same heart that cared for people could give a rip about them now. And all of a sudden, you don't care like you used to. And you, you ever do this? I mean, let's be honest. I've done this. So I'm not trying to just say, hey, check you out, but I'm good. Listen, have you ever had those moments where you're like, what's wrong with me? I used to care and I don't even care anymore like this. What happened to me? Because I could tell you what happened to you. You started letting the leprosy in. You started diving into things that numb you to death. So when God says, I want those three things in here, and they've always been in that order, and they've always been about this, God's like, I want to remind you. Sin kills, and here's the sad part. Sin kills slowly, and you don't even feel it by the time you die. It's interesting because this hyssop is sort of a medical applier. It's what applied the blood in Exodus 12.22 that allowed us to get out of Egypt. David says in Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be white. I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's Psalm 51, 7. It's interesting, even my Savior took sour wine, which they would have called cursed wine, in John 19, 29 on the cross. And what did they bring it up to him with? Hyssop. Chapter, or verse 7 now. We'll get to step 4. We're more than halfway there. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water. 
And afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And when one burns, and it says, and, and one who burns it, he what, needs to wash his clothes in water too. He needs to bathe. Now all of this text, by the way, from this point really through until our next step, which will be verse 17, is really all about taking a bath. And by the way, it's interesting because in Scripture, when we talk about getting into the, the water to be clean, Ephesians 5.26 tells us that's the water of the word. Jesus even said about, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Can I say, when you start finding yourself in that place where you're letting that die, you can look to the world and try to find a new cow. You go shopping for the new cow. And God doesn't want it. He says, get in my word and let me wash you. Let me wash your heart. Let me wash and be like, you've been brainwashed. I'm like, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. Thank you very much. My brain was filthy and nasty and rank, and you should be thankful it got washed. My spirit got washed, too. My attitude got washed. My life got washed. And I'm in his word because I want to be a better man and a better pastor for you guys, a better father for my children, a better husband for my wife. That's my heart. And God says, look it, if you're going to let it burn, you better get the word. And you better get it in you and get it in you. Because when you do, what you'll find is those things that you are actually allotting for yourself and giving yourself some space with, God may say, hey, that doesn't play here. But he tells us this is to be purified. And you might ask, well, purified from what? It's interesting in verse 11, remember it says, he who touches a dead body will be unclean. And he talks about whether it's in a tent whether that's outside, no matter where it is, you touch a dead body, you should bathe. Uh, isn't that just nice? And understand, when I start getting into his word, that which is really death becomes really clearly death. And I start seeing life. A life that I could never see anywhere else. A life that transcends all of these things of this world. So let's wrap it up with our last few. Verse 17 an unclean person then shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification of the sin, and they have to add something to it. You don't just blow ashes on this guy. And they put it with running water. Do you see that in verse 17? Take a look down, find it, see, make sure that so you know I'm not making this up. Remember, don't just believe me. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Do you see in verse 17 the term running water? Some of you all just staring off into space pretending like you're looking. Okay, oh, you're looking, okay, looking behind me? So you can nod now. This is where you can like, act like you're alive. All right? So I'm going to try to get you to repeat two words. Ready? Here's the first of them. Mayim. Can you say Mayim? Can you say Chaim? So can you say Mayim Chaim? Mayim Chaim. You're like, what was he making me say? I'm tithing? No, listen. Mayim is the word for water. Matter of fact, we've sang shav to maim. Maim means water. It's actually beautiful. Sorry, it's a side note, but I have to tell a story because it's great. We have a Tuesday study for um, that's primarily geared towards the West End performers. Um, we have people that have been there, you know, from like Charlie and from Charlie Chocolate Factory and the Lion King and you know, there are other people. And it was really cool. Well, some of these guys have rehearsal and they get in kind of halfway through it. And we were doing this study and I had shown the people that were there, that were there on time, this particular song. Shav to mine, best song, mia, mia, Yeshua. Right? And they were all there and they were like kind of, you know, and it was like, and we were talking through this text in John where the people would sing this song and this poor guy Jack comes in late 
So he came in after I had showed them all the song, right? And so he comes in, and I'm teaching through this text on Jesus, and how he stands up and says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to the water. You know, and he, he, Jesus, of course, offering himself. And I says, and at a moment like this, they would begin to sing. And do you know what they would sing? And everybody sort of spontaneously just went, shove to mine. Except Jack. He's looking around going, ah, ah, ah. How in the world is everybody singing Hebrew? Anyways, I just, it's a beautiful moment. <clears throat> The term for running water is that term, Mayim Chaim. Can you say, Mayim Chaim? Mayim means water. Chaim, by the way, if you've ever seen a lot of um, Hebrew people, they have these two letters and they wear them on their necklace. It looks like a staple and an apostrophe. That is, by the way, a chit and then a yad. And that's the term chi, like chaim. And the term means life. So when you have Mayim Chaim, what's the best definition for that? Living water. That's what the term means. But we don't say living water. We'd say running water because that's what living water is. It's water that's living. It's moving. But we know the living water in Scripture. Because when Jesus said, whoever comes to me who is thirsty, let him come to me. And I tell him, out of him will torrent living water. And he says, by this, Luke tells us, by this he was speaking of. Hello, someone? Speaking of the Holy Spirit. When he speaks of that living water. Boy, that was a very anticlimactic moment. Step five, apply the Spirit. Look, at once you start reading the Word and you're like, you know what, I want to live this out and I want to do this right, the problem is you can't be warmed and filled. Go home. No, listen. You can, here's the thing. God actually, you know, you know what a hero is? He's someone who does what other people care. Isn't that true? And he just does a good thing. I mean, the villain's the opposite. But get the idea on this. God has intended every one of you to be a hero, to do what even you can't humanly do, because God wants to do it through you. It tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's, by the way, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, 11, 12, and then it says, For it is God who works within you to will to do and to do for his good pleasure. Understand, God's like, I'm going to tell you to do things you couldn't possibly do, and then I'm going to do them through you so you could be a hero more than you know. Could you imagine God's intending you to be a hero? God actually wants, hey, look, at if you're older, people are looking up to you and saying, what does it look like to grow old right? Right? If you're older in Christ, people are looking and saying, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? Hey, when I first gave my life to Christ, I started looking at people who were older, in, you know, they called themselves older in Christ, and I'm like, I don't want to be any of that. They were like grumpy and nasty and like, did you hear about so-and-so? And they were like, oh, really? That's what it means to grow up in Christ? Then I think I'll be like a spiritual Peter Pan. And then I looked in Scripture and I realized that's not exactly scriptural. Actually, it's not scriptural. I saw guys like Caleb. He's like 85. And he's like, you know, I saw this land 40 years ago. Give me the land. And I'm like, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I said, Moses' vivacity didn't die until he did. You realize Moses was just as much a full-on guy the day he died as he was the day he was born. Maybe even more so. And I'm like, oh, God, make me that. God, help all of you. But what I realized, one of the reasons why that happens is because though this body is still subject to entropy, second law of thermodynamics, order goes to disorder, the spiritual world is not subject to that law at all. And my spirit is being renewed with every breath. <laughs> More renewing right now. Oh, beloved, hear me. When I start reading the word, I'm like, oh God, by your spirit, do this. 
By your spirit, kill that cow. By your spirit, let him burn. By that spirit, let me get right fellowship and get good accountability and let me lay it at the door. And by your spirit, bring me into the church and use me to be a blessing to others. By your spirit, change the world inside me. By your spirit, change the world around me now that you've done that. By your spirit, don't let me even have an appetite for those horrible things I used to do. Which takes us to our last two points. Verse 18. A clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, vessels, and people who were there, and on the one who touched the bone, slain, dead, or grave. As word number five was apply the spirit, verse six is take it home. Notice you've got to apply it to the house, to your stuff, and to your peeps. And if I can't apply it to my peeps, I need new peeps. That's just that simple. He's like, I want you to take it, I want you to spread it on your home. Don't think, oh, this is just something, it's a private thing. No, listen, Jesus hung naked on a cross in front of everybody. Jesus didn't go, this is a private thing. Hey, if you really love someone, you can't be silent about it. Ladies, if a man says, I love you, but he ain't willing to tell everybody on the, on the underground carriage that you're sitting with, change seats. Men the same. I knew that before I knew the Lord. I was probably 11, 10 or 11, and some girl's like, I love you. I says, well, then stand right here on the, on the lunch. We were in the cafeteria. Stand on this table and tell everyone. <laughs> you imagine? She's like, what? I'm like, if you can't tell everyone, I'm not going to believe you. And I was like, wow, what kind of crazy kid am I? You want to know? Talk to my 11-year-old. She's a lot like me that way. But you've got to be willing to take it to your house, man. And all of a sudden I realized, what am I watching? What am I looking at? What am I spending my time doing? Take it to my stuff. What is it that I really want? Is it really to invest in the cow or to let it die? What about my peeps? Everything that's around that death, man, needs to be covered in the blood. Finally, verse 19. A clean person, then, shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. You know what you find it interesting? He's like, he's got specific days. He didn't just say twice a week. I want you to do this. I want you to take it and sprinkle it on any day you want, and then wait a couple days and sprinkle it on another. But he picked two specific days. What days did he pick according to this? Come on, this is now the point where you get to respond. Those days are the third day and? Right. So what was the first of those? Day. And what was the second? Okay, now of all the days of the week, which two days are the most profound in Scripture? The third day and the seventh. What's the third day according to Scripture? What happened on a third day that was so important? Jesus rose from the dead. It was a resurrection. That's the point. Without that, Jesus just died and you have a dead Savior. I don't have a dead Savior. I have a living Lord. Jesus didn't just die for me. He rose again to give me new life. I mean, if we baptize people like some people give their testimony and we talk about, I was all these things, I was kicking puppies and, and slapping nuns and running over school children and selling drugs to, you know, infants or whatever. And then Jesus saved me. Like that kind of baptism, you just take them down and leave them until the bubbles stop. Think about it. But if we're for real about it, it's like, look at all that stuff died, so there's a whole new person that's living now. And that person isn't beat, isn't, isn't driven by the same drives as the old person was. Hear me on that. Because understand, that's how this whole thing ends. He goes, you know what, now let's check my third and my seventh. My third says, now am I living a resurrected life with this? Now understand, that doesn't say, I'm not living a life with a dead cow. I'm living a life now that's resurrected because the cow's dead. Because the cow's dead, the cow doesn't belong with the new person. You get it? 
The resurrected person shouldn't be dragging around a dead cow all the time. That's just kind of sick. But we do that. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm a Christian now. I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm an ex-drug dealer. And I'm, I'm an ex-woman beater or something like that, right? And people go, uh... It's like, do you really want to be known by your tombstone? Hi, I'm an ex-floozy. Hi, I'm an ex You know what? Let me just say, the honest of dead. And Jesus, when he took it to the grave, he, it stayed there. But there's a whole new... And listen, if you're the kind that you don't want to give your life to Jesus because all you see is the stuff you have to give up, but you don't even see the resurrected life on the other side, I don't blame you for not wanting Jesus. Because you've been lied to. You know why I don't do drugs? Because I don't need to do drugs anymore. Do you know why I don't sleep around? Because I don't need to sleep around anymore. I don't chase after those things because I've been satisfied in Christ. And don't tell me, well, marriage will solve that, or you get older, that'll solve that. No, there's too many people out there that prove that wrong. Because the holes inside of you are God-sized holes, and nobody else can fill them. Nobody and nothing else can fill them. Do you get it? So please hear me in this. I check my third. And I'm looking and saying, now, is this a resurrected life I'm living now, or am I still just trying to bank on the dead cow thing? But that's not the end of it. And then there's the seventh. What takes place on the seventh day? It's the Sabbath. It's the rest. And now I'm saying, can I rest? Can I rest in Christ? Can I rest in this? Because you know what? When Jesus does something, he does it for good. Have you learned that yet? And I'm so thankful for that. When I do something, it has a habit of only being temporary. I do love the difference. He goes, you know, by the time we're done with this, it's like, look at When you're around death, you're going to need to purify. And I want your third to be right. And I want your seventh to be right. Because I want the world to see people. Look at If there were two things that the world saw, it would make sense to me. One is that we live a resurrected life. A life that's complete and content and full of joy and resting in the Lord. If that's what they saw, they would be intrigued. And then they were like, well, how do I have to, what do I have to do? How hard do I have to fight? What, you know, things do I need to do? And you're like, I'm resting because I'm resting in Jesus. They're like, wait a minute, let me see if I have this right. I actually accept the gift of Jesus Christ and this stuff starts happening and you're like, yes, actually, that's the way it works. Do you realize the first one shows that we are different and the second one shows how anyone else could become? Because Jesus did it and he did it once and for all and now I get to live on that. Does that make sense? Here's the interesting thing. One last kind of simple point on this and then I want us to say, we'll get to the cross and we'll get to prayer. Hear me on this. We're almost on time. Can you imagine? Um, so Moses and Aaron are getting this instruction, right? So let's say you're Moses and Aaron for a moment. Moses and Aaron, listen. Dead people are going to be around. Lots of people are dying, as you've probably noticed in the last few chapters. Lots of people are going to die. And as a result of that, I've got some really important things to tell you. This is what you need to do with anyone who's been around dead people, right? And you start thinking, okay, that's the workbook. Okay, that's the workbook so I can tell somebody else, Right? So I can make sure that everybody else does it right. Does that make sense? Okay, you have your Bibles open, right? Read the first verse of the next chapter. What happens there? Would you have thought it was about you? Would you have thought, oh, wait a minute, he's talking about me? Because you realize that's what's happening here. 
See, all of a sudden, by the way, just so you know, next chapter that we're going to go into next week, God willing, both Aaron and Miriam die. So here you are hearing this right now. And you're thinking, mm, this is good instruction. I can't wait to tell so-and-so. Oh, I wish my husband or my wife were here. Or, oh, man, if that disobedient kid were here, they would have heard. But funny, he has you here. Do you even realize right now this is for you? Do you even realize right now God is calling you to this? And he's going, look at death is still around you, too. What are you going to do with it? You still have a cow, too. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to let it burn today? Now, listen, this is how it ends. My God so loved you and he so loved me that though we were full of our own rank and dishonor and filth and disgust and everything that we should be honestly regretful for, and when we're honest, most of the things we don't even regret, though we should. And he knew that all of that separated us from a perfect holy God and God knows that a perfect holy God and a perfect holy judge should punish all wrong and God allowed one provision and that provision is not you. From the moment this whole thing was here, God said, when you came to be with me, you brought a perfect sacrifice. You didn't have to be perfect, but your sacrifice did. What sacrifice do you bring to God? Your service? Your church attendance? Your prayers? Is that stuff perfect? The only perfect sacrifice, God knew it was Him. And God so loved you, and He so loved me, that He would rather die than live without you. And He knew that, so He's like, look it. If that's what it takes, I will die the most painful, horrible, torturous death so that all your sin can be paid for. It could be punished. So you don't have to be punished for it. Could you imagine someone stepping in your stead? Here's the problem. I can't step in your stead. You know why I can't step in your stead? Because I'm sinful like the rest of us. And it took a perfect sacrifice to do it. And the only perfect sacrifice is Jesus. So... He took it to the cross and He died for your sins and He died for my sins. He died for your guilt and my guilt. And then, just like Scripture promised, three days later He rose again. And now He offers us the freedom from our guilt, innocence for our guilt and shame, and a brand new life now, a resurrected life. Do you want that? Because if you don't want that, and you're still going to go out there and chase after your cows, sooner or later you're going to realize how horrible they are. But I'm here to let you know it's a choice because love isn't love without a choice. And my God's a gentleman and he stands at the door and knocks. But it's a choice for you to make now. As we go to prayer, I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I ask you to listen. I could have you repeat, but I've learned when people repeat, they don't necessarily even listen to what they're saying. It's kind of strange. But if you listened and at the end of it all, you agreed with what was being prayed, I ask you to give no wussy little, but a confident resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that be my prayer then. I agree. Let that be mine. So be it in my life. So it is. So be it with me. So as we go to prayer now, saints, beloved, listening ears, you have a choice to make. But listen, God's like, I love you. That's what you get is my love, my forgiveness, my innocence, and a brand new life that gets fulfilled so you don't have to chase after the things that destroy you and take away everything that, you, that, that, that in any way you could stand on and enjoy. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you so much for what you're doing here. And God, I just confess to you right now that, Lord, for all the words spoken, you right now, it's got to be your Holy Spirit or nothing will permanent ever happens. But your Holy Spirit is here. That's clear. And you, more than anything, want us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, you brought us here today.
on this day. And on this day, Lord, we come in heavy laden. We're full of cow. We're full of bull. If we, we need to be set free. And Jesus, thank you. That though you tell us that the wages of sin is a separation from us and you, because you're perfect and holy and we're not, but you love us. And you want us. How strange that you know us perfectly and you still want us. And so right now, confess to you that I, that I am a sinner. I'm not lying to you. This is, would be dumb to lie about. I'm not perfect. We both know that. And I want to come clean with you. I need you to save me. I need you to step into my life right now and pull away all my guilt and my shame and my filth. I need you to wash me clean. And you've proven that you would do that. Because Jesus, you died on the cross so that all of my crimes, my sins, my intentions, my evil, even to the depth of my heart that I don't want to look at, every bit of it was punished on that cross that you chose to hang on. To hang on. And, and, and that, I believe you really punished all of my sins. So why would I want to take that punishment? And you've already taken it for me. And there, when you died, so did my punishment. At my accepting of you, my punishment dies. But thank you, that's only half the story. Three days later, just like you promised, you rose again. To prove to me that it isn't just about my old life dying, but a new life coming. A life now that's free and complete and satisfied and content in you, no longer starving for the same things that destroyed me before, no longer looking at myself in the mirror and hating me, no longer wondering why in the world am I on this planet, but now to live in your love and to discover your peace and to walk in this beautiful relationship that you have with me, that you paid for, And if that really is your offer, then I say yes. I say yes to your offer right now. I say yes to Jesus' death for me on the cross. I say yes to his resurrection for the new life you have for me. At the cross, I declare Jesus my Savior. At the resurrection, I declare Jesus my Lord. I hand you me now, and I ask for you to take me and make me whatever you want to make me, because I'm yours. Have me now. I may not understand everything, but I understand this much that I need to give my life to you and let you do what you want with it. That's the best thing I can do. So I say yes in Jesus' name. And beloved, right now, if that's you and you want to agree with this prayer, give me a good, confident amen.